Hello and welcome back to episode 6 of NAEMT Radio. I'm your host, Rob Lawrence. And today we're going to talk about uh, a, a NAMT survey. But before we do that, let's bring our guest in. Welcome back, uh, member at large, Matt Zavatsky. Hi, Rob. Always a pleasure to be with you and your audience, helping to educate everybody on what's the latest happenings in EMS. Excellent. And so let's take a moment just to do a bit of a hot wash. Uh, a few weeks ago, probably now, we were up in the national capital. We were on the hill. We were back. And more importantly, we were live. And so give us your impression of that. Well, as you know, because you did a great job with it, it was great to see everybody in 3D, especially at this event. It is so important to be able to educate our elected officials, especially now with everything that's happening in EMS from workforce issues, economic issues, supply chain, ambulances, drugs, uh, mental health, you name it. And it was nice to see so many people. I think, Rob, the final number was like 250, 260 people from all over the country. Um, Just really phenomenal. And to see some great partnerships. We had folks from the American Ambulance Association there, the International Association of Firefighters. Um, We win when we work together. And you saw that demonstrated um, during that event. So it was awesome. It was indeed. And uh, I managed to cover it in a number of ways, both in writing and in video reports. And we'll put those in the show notes so you guys can uh, recap. What I felt, Matt, was that there was almost a enhanced, dare I say, brand recognition after being away for three years, after going through the pandemic, after coming out of the other side, although I'm sure folk at CDC will argue that we haven't fully emerged yet. But nevertheless, we know what we mean, that I felt that there was a recognition from our elected officials that I don't think I've seen on the Hill before. Yeah, I would concur. And, you know, we see that in local uh, communities with with elected officials, states, and it was clearly demonstrated uh, at the federal level. And I'll share with you, Rob, that the day before uh, EMS on the Hill Day, there was actually a congressional roundtable. And uh, several of us attended um, IFC, I'm sorry, yeah, uh, any EMT, AAA, others. And one of the attendees at that roundtable, uh, who happens to be on the Ways and Means Committee, walked directly from our roundtable to a committee hearing at the Ways and Means Committee and grilled Secretary Becerra on what the hell he's doing for EMS and how are you going to pay for treatment and no transport and all that sort of stuff. So to the extent that we're able to get people's attention and they carry that message right back to Ways and Means, uh, again, just another demonstration of value. Excellent. And uh, you listening are, of course, our ways and means, because as I said in my sort of final report summary is don't think this was just a one and done. We need all of you to get involved, whether it's local, whether it's state, whether it's the federal level. We drive around in very large billboards. People know what we do when we do it. They see us do it. We need to leverage the work, the good work that we do in order to promote better and improve our service through legislation and through lobbying. And so please, please, please get involved. Let's uh, get on to the main topic of today, Matt. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, the 2023 uh, National uh, Economic and Operational Survey. The topics covered probably aren't a surprise to us. We, We know these are the things that are probably um, giving us, you know, gravest cause for concern. And so in the usual Rob and Matt way, I'll throw a heading at you. And then can you give us a sort of an executive summary on the findings? And more importantly, what we need to do about it, cost changes. Yeah, you know, Rob, the agencies, obviously, the number one cost driver is personnel. And of the respondents to the survey, 
the lion's share of the respondents, 102 of the 400 respondents, um, saw between a 1% and 9% increase in wages, and virtually no one saw a decrease in wages. And that's a no-brainer, right? There were some agencies that saw 19% increase. I know here at our agency at MedStar, we've had a 28% increase um, in some categories, in some categories 48. And we just have to do that because of the competition for EMTs, the competition for paramedics. The challenge is it's 75 or more percent of our cost of service delivery. So when you see wages going up that significantly between 2019 and 2022, that just demonstrates the increased cost that we've had in service delivery. And of course, the alternative to that is lose people, lose business, lose livelihood, and particularly a lot of our sort of private EMS agencies. And uh, as you know, I'm tracking closures across the country. And for economic reasons, we are seeing a lot of uh, agency. Sorry, let me fra- rephrase that, and I'm not going to cut this out. I don't, I don't mean a lot of agencies. We are seeing an increasing number of agencies shuttering for the very simple reason that uh, either the, the reimbursement and income isn't there or the staff aren't there because we can't pay them with the reimbursement and income that we get. And so it is a massive issue, um, and uh, those cost changes obviously are a ch- the cost of doing business and a necessary one, even though eventually they may be unaffordable, right? Absolutely, Rob. And, you know, we we hear so often that not only are agencies that are providing 911 service closing or going to their communities for the first time in decades, uh, asking for subsidy to continue providing the same level of service or consider alternate uh, service models, if you will, but that spin-down effect on local safety net providers here in the Dallas Fort Worth area there was a conversation that I had with local fire chief of a very large municipality in our metroplex who said you know most of the commercial ambulance providers have left our market because they just can't afford to provide the services because of the cost increases and the reimbursement decreases in the state of Texas etc um, and for the the fire department they said you know all of last year we did 90 90 interfacility transports because there was no one else available. This year, just since January, and now we're in April, they've done 900 interfacility transfers. At the same time, I got a phone call from the executive director of one of our largest managed Medicaid payers, and he said, hey, how come I can't get anybody to take our patients home from the DFW Metroplex? Nobody's available, services are closing, and we've got patients stuck in hospitals that are ching and ching and ching in our, our dollars and we can't get them out. And I said, that's because nobody's going to do it for the dollars that you're willing to pay. It's just not, the economic model is not breaking, it's now broken and they're leaving. And it turns out that that executive director from one of our largest managed Medicaid payers is now one of the people lobbying with us in the state capital for rate increases, reimbursement increases from Medicaid, just so they can continue to have access to get patients to and from hospitals. So it's affecting every aspect of our service delivery, Rob. And I'm just going to put my California hat on for those listening may know that uh, one of my hats is actually the executive director of the California Ambulance Association. And we are lobbying hard for changes here. And it's a matter of public record that uh, uh, our friends at GMR pulled out of the LA market for those very reasons, the reasons of economics, the reasons of EMS, dare I say, is a business, like it or not. And we have to make sure we think sometimes in that vein. And if the income doesn't match the expenses, then 
you know, as, as I used to say, sometimes jokingly about the National Health Service, Matt, the NHS, if the NHS was a restaurant, it would close for lunch, right? Um, we don't want that to happen. Um, but staying with costs, of course, I just gave a lecture on leadership versus management. And my, my official uh, interpretation of that is we lead people and we manage stuff. Now, the stuff needs managing because equipment and supplies is also going through the roof. They are. And we saw um, agencies reporting, you know, again, 10 to 19% increases. The majority of respondents said that's what they've seen in the change of supply costs. Uh, equipment, same thing. Um, the majority of the respondents said we're seeing across the board between a 10 to 19% increase in materials, labor, ambulances, you name it. But yet our reimbursement has not increased the same percentage. So it's that's what's creating this crisis. And Rob, people leave to go work at hospitals. They leave to go work for Amazon because the chances of you catching a infectious disease and bringing it home and killing your entire family at Amazon is much lower than it is working at EMS. The chances of you getting run over by a car at an accident scene uh, is much lower at Amazon. And you know, the money is about the same. So why would, would people risk their lives, risk their families' lives, be away holidays and nights and weekends and miss kids' events and parents' events um, for the money that we're, that we're able to afford to pay them? And it's just a, a downward spiral, spiral that we need to stop. But I just want to stay with uh, the equipment and supplies just for a second before we move on. Obviously, you're operating inside a very large ambulance service. Your equipment expenditure uh, must be uh, eye-watering sometimes. But are you seeing a tr downward trend in overall costs? Uh, obviously, you know, the pandemic was blamed for a lot of things. Um, costs were increased. Some say may have been gouged else in, in some quarters. But uh, what, what are you seeing as a trend? We're not seeing it abate at all, Rob. I mean, we're, we're seeing these continual cost escalations. A lot of it is a supply chain issue. A lot of it is, you look at ambulances, for example. I know you and I have had a lot of conversations about the quote-unquote ambulance shortage here in the U.S., but it, fire trucks, ambulances, uh, other rolling stock. But the cost of, of medications, I mean, I shudder to think, what's going to happen a month, two months, six months from now that Narcan is available over the counter nationwide and everybody decides to go get an emergency supply of narcan and our $30 purchase price for narcan is going to double or triple just because they're able to do that because of the supply and if we want to carry it that's what we have to have to do i know that during our webinar um, dr kroll one of the one of the medical directors from from very respectful systems in st louis said that the number of protocol changes that she's had to do for her agencies because of drug shortages is mind-boggling. And I think that's just going to continue. Right. And of course, Narcan doesn't come with a lecture about the half-life of the Narcan versus the efficacy of the drug that this person's trying to neutralize in the first place. So one in doesn't mean you're done, means a delay in the, the point that EMS arrives, right? So there's some education needed, even if, if we're going to roll this stuff out. Yeah. And even in, in one of the training videos that's available online, I watched recently, uh, they said, just keep using doses of Narcan until the patient wakes up. Uh, that could take three or four doses. And as you know, Rob, sometimes consciousness is not the desired effect. You want to 
straight to breathing, but not necessarily consciousness for all sorts of reasons. Um, but for the lay public buying this Narcan over the counter, they don't understand that. And it's going to be a, a significant issue, I think. In the early days of carfentanil, you know, the amount of Narcan, uh, naloxone we had to put into a patient was the equivalent. And a fire chief pointed this out because obviously you've got a paramedic drug box in each unit was the equivalent of a three alarm fire. Think about that, right? right? So uh, right. you one over the counter may not do it. Hey, I'm a Kara trustee. I am not only an NAEMT member, I'm also a, a member of the Lighthouse Leadership Committee. NAEMT, with support from FirstNet, built with AT&T, has developed a course to assist EMS agencies in building and supporting the mental health resilience of their personnel. The Mental Health Resilience Officer, or MHRO, course prepares EMS personnel to serve as their agency's mental health resilience officer. In this role, the MHRO will engage with peers to develop an understanding of mental health issues and resilience, identify peers who are experiencing mental health stressors and crises, navigate peers in need to the right services for help, and support the development of a culture of mental health resilience and emotional wellness within the agency available online and in a classroom format. And when your agency signs up for NAEMT membership, they will receive free access to this critically important course. For more details, contact membership at naemt.org or follow the links in the show notes. Anyway, uh, moving on, let's uh, talk about uh, uh, recruiting and retention. We've done a lot of work. Uh, AAA did that ABC 360 survey. Obviously, these uh, these results are in as well. Um, I don't think you're about to tell me anything new, but uh, what have you got to report? You know, Rob, in, in the survey that NAEMT did, uh, recruiting and retention played heavy into it, and this was from agency leaders, and it was across the board, uh, fire departments, commercial, nonprofit, you name it, um, all of them reported a decrease in the applicant pipeline uh, across the board. You know, we see, you know, 5, 10, 15% decrease in the majority of these agencies in people applying for EMT and paramedic positions. And you've heard that echoed from the state of Minnesota, did a great report on the number of people who got new certifications compared to the number of people who let their certifications expire. Um, and and the, the numbers are, star, are stark, that many, many more people are letting their, medic, their certifications expire than the ones who are attaining new certifications. We have finally begun to see, and, and um, Bill Seafarth and the folks over at National Registry have reported that the number of people who are taking the National Registry exam is starting to increase again. But we're not seeing that in the EMS agencies. And Bill shared at an NAEMT meeting uh, during EMS World that they're seeing an increased number of people getting certified as EMTs or paramedics to go work in non-EMS settings. So now we're competing for those people, not only the ones who we've trained and have gotten the experience working out in the field, going to work in hospitals, but even the newly certified people. One of the things that Bill said during the, during the meeting, the Advocacy Council meeting, was that they've got an overwhelming number of people emailing the National Registry saying, what do you mean I need a skills component? I'm not part of an EMS agency. How do I get assigned offices on a skills component? Um, and well, you know, then you're becoming an associate or an unaffiliated National Registry person 
Um, and, and that's the new reality that we're facing, and it's not going to go away anytime soon, especially with the nursing shortage and the things that hospitals are, and other healthcare settings are experiencing. And this is our new reality. And that's why I think you're seeing a lot of changes in, in system delivery models, changes in system design to really meet this new reality based on uh, not only the workforce realities, but also the evidence. And one of the things, Rob, that w- w- came out during the uh, or in the survey was the number of systems that are revamping how they're delivering service and extending response times and going from a tiered deployment. I'm go- sorry, going from an all ALS deployment to a tiered deployment, going from two two paramedic boxes to one paramedic box, using alternate staffing where you've got an EMT a- and a driver. Going back to the term ambulance driver, now there are states that are allowing uh, and have been for a little while now, allowing a non-certified driver. Let's just give some give some props to states like Virginia, where you can be an EMR, you can be an emergency medical responder, yeah. um, you do your basic first aid, CPR, etc., and then you can be that responder. And yes, I will use the D word, you can drive the vehicle. Um, like our good friends at Richmond, that's actually a pathway to then getting uh, – earn while you learn and becoming an EMT. So, you know, those roles exist out there. And this, you, you've, you've circumvented what I was going to say next, actually, sorry. because, of course, coming from the UK, no, 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 coming, but coming from the UK now, you know, 15 years ago, where we had the rapid response EMT driver, because when you're rapidly responding, it's normally life-threatening and it's normally a BLS skill to get you going to start you off. Therefore, the rapid response EMT was the person that got there first. Arriving in the US, what do you mean you have to have two paramedics on every single truck everywhere because someone in a contract says so? To my mind, we're kind of right-siding it. But of course, you know, these multi-tiered systems are now becoming a thing, and I think it's a good thing. I, I would agree, Rob, and the science certainly supports it. We just had a meeting today with one of our county leaders and uh, Jeff Jarvis, who's our medical director, um, and everybody knows Dr. Jarvis, uh, made the articulated the exact point that the most life-saving care that first responders and EMS personnel can provide are not ALS skills. They are BLS skills. So if you really think about what's truly needed for the true life threat, life threatening conditions, it's good CPR, it's AED, it's basic airway management, and those can be provided very effectively by EMT first responders while you wait for the experienced paramedic to arrive that many systems are now enjoying through a tiered response system like Seattle's Medic One. And uh, let me just give you another transatlantic translation that in the UK, the term first responder is reserved and preserved for the citizen that may have received some basic training from the ambulance service that could be the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, the postman that responds with O2 and a defibrillator in the community. And it exactly as it says on the tin, they're the first responder. Um, and they are they their first. It's a BLS skill, and they save a life. And pro- all props to Dr. Jarvis. Of course, Dr. Jarvis will be joining us uh, on a subsequent uh, NAMT radio, by the way, everybody. Many people say that uh, a system is designed for the results that it gets, and uh, if you have, you know, top-heavy paramedic units right now, you might want to think about that, because not everything is an emer- We keep talking about the fact that not everything is an emergency. Not everything needs a rapid response. Not everything needs lights and sirens. Um, and so why is your system stacking it heavily with paramedics that uh, may be underemployed for the skill that they have? Think on that one. To close up, Matt, your uh, webinar that uh, you presented that discussed all of this. Yeah, so we did something very unique. And EMT did a, a webinar to, to review 
the findings and to get the opinion of experts. And one of the great things about this webinar, Rob, is it was almost exclusively uh, the panel was mo mostly women in EMS, which was a deliberate move on the part of any EMT and others to make sure that we had some good diversity and from an underrepresented group. Um, so we had, you know, people from the private sector, an ambulance owner, female, wonderful woman, uh, Debbie Aleph, Linda Fredrickson, who's an AIM High member from Davenport, from Medic EMS, uh, Dr. Kroll, Melissa Kroll, who is the EMS medical director, Amy Hannafin, who is the operations chief from McMinnville Fire Department. Uh, and then the, the one white guy, Tom Wazirik. But the fun that thing that was fun about Tom is that Tom is the director for the Center for Public Safety Management, which is part of ICMA. And ICMA co-hosted this webinar and promoted it to their members. So one of the reasons for doing the webinar was to educate elected and appointed officials on the crisis in EMS with the hope of educating them that, yeah, funding is a thing. You need to fund them. You need to make them an essential service. You need to really redesign your systems. Um, amazing attendance for the webinar, including uh, many city managers, assistant city managers, elected officials, and the feedback was phenomenal. So kudos to our amazing panel. Um, and uh, it's available online. Um, so you can just Google it or go to any EMT's, web any EMT's website. Uh, I'm sure Wa Rob will include it um, in some of it's, his comments. Um, you, you, you read my script, Matt. It's going to be in the show notes. But actually, yep. just for those that those may have actually already worked out what ICMA is, but to just give us a oh, quick sorry. Uh, briefing yeah. on that. ICMA is the International City County Managers Association, um, and it's the professional association for, as it sounds like, city and county managers. Um, they've got tens of thousands of members from all across the, the, the globe. Um, and we've done a lot of work with ICMA because we know that they are the budget approvers. We know that they are the ones that approve funding and system design. And they've been great partners through this, through this entire process. Perhaps there is a direction of travel for any EMS leader because, you know, how much are you connected with your city manager? Now, it's fair to say that fire chiefs and police chiefs probably work at the pleasure of the mayor and or the city manager. But if you're in a EMS system that perhaps isn't in that, shall we say, chain of command, that's a person you need to make friends with, right? You know, absolutely. And a lot of it depends on how your local community is structured. Some have strong managers, some have strong mayor forms of government. Um, but the bottom line is that somebody approves your budget. And somebody's going to approve funding, but it doesn't just stop there. You know, this message, as you said earlier, Rob, needs to be through state legislatures. It needs to be through the federal government um, and all of the folks from NAEMT and, and others who might be listening to this webinar uh, really need to become actively engaged. You said it yourself. EMS has never been seen in a more positive light than we are right now because of everything that happened during the public health emergency. So we need to really leverage that respect that acknowledgement that we are more than just schlepping people to the emergency room and, and we need to be funded in a way that continues to bring value to the local community i couldn't have said it better myself although i think you were just paraphrasing what i said so i said it better through you anyway <laughs> you always do rob and and, and, with, and with the king's english so the classic rob ending question matt is there anything i haven't asked you or anything you want to tell me no rob i think you know you are so good at, at sharing timely information with the the field practitioners the agency leaders uh, this is a very difficult time probably and, and rob i've been in ems now for 43 years and can't remember a more challenging, but also 
a time when we've had the greatest opportunity. Um, again, I go back to that meeting that we had, one of the many meetings in D.C., where literally 20 minutes after having conversation with an elected official, he is carrying our message to HHS. And I, I never would have thought that that would happen. I never thought that during an EMS on the Hill briefing that the Director of Government Affairs for the International Association of Fire Chiefs and the President of the American Ambulance Association, I'm sorry, firefighters, and the, uh, the President of the American Ambulance Association would all be sitting at the same table sharing the same direction that we need to go. <laughs> to go. And, and, and in fact, let's, let's, let's name them as Evan Davis and Randy Strozik. Uh, and uh, you're right, it was, it, was great, it was great to see them. Exactly there. right. Well, thank you for that. Now, we mentioned all of these references and all of these associations. I will make sure that we uh, link them all so you can click through and see who they are. And uh, look forward to having you back. You are such a sage and an oracle, Matt. Uh, and uh, no EMS podcast will be complete without a little bit of uh, Zavadsky. And I'm not sure if you listened to the previous uh, edition of uh, NEMT Radio when I was speaking to our good friend, Dr. Coopers. We both acknowledged that we were contractually obliged to use your name <laughs> every time we spoke to somebody. <laughs> and Rob, thank you for what you're doing for NEMT, its members, and for the entire profession. You, you do an amazing job. Thank you. It is absolutely my pleasure. Uh, I am, like you now, of an age where I want to make sure the next generation is prepared. Which reminds me, how long did you say you've been in EMS? 43 years. Oh, hang on. I thought you did the medical standby at Kitty Hawk, though. Ha, ha, ha. And with that note, ladies and gentlemen, that was NAMT Radio, Episode 6. I really like to thank uh, my guest and, as you can tell, my good friend, Matt Zavadsky. Matt, thank you, sir. Thank you, Rob. Have a blessed rest of the day, sir, and thank you again. Good, good. So you can catch everything uh, on, on the podcast channel near you. Don't forget, if you've enjoyed what you've just listened to, take a second to rate and review us so we get uh, a number of good stars. And also, uh, everything you've heard, everything you want to read about the organization can be found at namt.org. So that's all for now. I've been Rob Lawrence. This has been Episode 6 of NAMT Radio. And until next time, bye for now.